Matthew 28, we'll be reading from that um, to start off with. There will also be scriptures on the screen to follow along if you do not have a Bible with you. Welcome to Mission Sunday. If this is your first time at our church today, it's going to be a little different. We're going to be talking about some of our aspects of our, the vision of our church, the things that we're hoping to achieve within the next couple of years, um, and also the things that we're kind of like built on, the, the, the identity of our church and how we'd like to do things and um, what, we, what we propose uh, to achieve through our interaction with one another. I don't know about you, but the church of Jesus has always been on a mission. And it's important for us to accurately describe what that mission is so that we all are able to participate in it practically. So that we have a handle. How do I participate in this? So I'm really hoping today that I can, I can, I can give some, some tangibles for you um, or at least a place where you can connect with us to have more conversation on that, on that. So it's awesome to have each and every one of you guys here. Let's get into it. First of all, our church's vision statements is what? How many of you all have a vision statement? Reach people and build lives, right? Reaching people, building lives. That's kind of like what we've been running with for the last 20 years. Pastor Bubba and Tracy McCann started this church in Jennings, planted a campus in Eunice, out, out here in Crowley. Um, her son, their son Zach, started this campus here. And uh, five years later, he resigned and went back into the marketplace. And Esther and I came and we took over this campus. But the heart has always been the same, and it will always be, no matter who leads what, oh, which one of these campuses, it'll be to reach people and to build lives. And, and I believe that that is very accurately describing the heart of Jesus. Jesus came to reach the lost. Would you agree? He came to find people that was not in righteousness with God, which at that point in time was everybody. <laughs> and then he helped them to understand he was the Messiah, help people to believe in him. And then after that, he went on to lead them in this new life of righteousness, guide them into the things that he wanted them, how he wanted them to live. And so for us to describe our vision as reaching people, building lives, is very similar to what Jesus came and did. And rightfully so, because Jesus set his church up to continue his work when he left the earth. And he gave us the spirit of God residing on the inside of our hearts so that we will have the power to be able to do the work that he needs to continue to happen. And so it's interesting for me sometimes how the church can start redefining that mission in some ways. Um, and I know that many times it's different words and it's different ways of saying it, but as long as the heartbeat remains that we are here to seek and save the lost and we're here to see Christ be formed, the image of His Son be formed on the inside of every single believer that follows God, then it's okay how you kind of word it and how you kind of craft the statement, but it has to, in some form or way, mean that thing. And, 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 and we say reach people because Jesus was passionate about people that were lost. And because Jesus is passionate about people that were lost, our church is passionate about people who are lost. What do I mean by lost? I mean people that are unsaved, people that do not have um, a conviction that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. I, 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 people that are unconnected, people that don't have a church family that they're going to. In my opinion, that person is lost because God says in his word that he takes lonely people and he places them in families. God wants every single Christian to be connected in a, in a local church family in some or another fashion. And then, then people who are unshepherded, they might be Christians, but they're nowhere following any, any group. They're not, they're not connected into a mission. There might be people in our church that haven't fully connected into the mission of what God has called us to do. God wants us to build that type of relationship or connection with them that gets them involved in the mission. And, 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 and I think there's also some people that are they're not growing. People that are stagnant, people that have like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago. What changed in your life since then? Well, nothing. Well, that's an issue. 
Because God wants more for his sons and daughters than just for them to get to heaven. No, that's not the objective. The objective is more than heaven. The objective is that heaven will get into us and change our character, change our nature, change the way we think and do so that we start reflecting in practice who we claim to reside on the inside of us. That is most definitely God's desire. And so the building lives part is very important. It's not just making people believers. It's helping people to become like Jesus. That's a massive part of that vision of, of, the, of the purpose of also why the Holy Spirit now resides on the inside of us. So we will be sanctified, that our ways will be sanctified. God has a moral code, and He wants us to start living closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, and closer to that moral code progressively as we grow and as we learn to walk with Him, right? And, and so this whole process of reaching people and building lives, we've just come to say and express it in a way that helps bring a little bit more clarity what that could mean and how to do that by adding these three lines. We would like people to take steps to knowing God, steps to living free, and steps towards making disciples. Each and every one of these three components has a bit of a... a multiple elements, have multiple elements that we would like to journey with you through to be able to effectively learn to know God, learn to walk free of hurts, hang-ups, and things that, that, are, that are holding you back, and also learn how to make disciples. I know for some, making disciples is kind of like intangible and, 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 and quite frankly scary, and, and I understand that. But there's a lot of steps that you can take towards growing, towards becoming mature in your faith that does not yet involve making disciples. But here's the thing that we sometimes do. We go, mm, no, I don't think that's for me, so I'm going to give myself an out. Like, I, I, I don't have to do that, right? So, but, but then at the same time, we also give ourselves an out to all the other things. Learning to know God better and more intimately. Learning how to live free and, and, and get victory over the things that we're struggling with. I'm hoping to show you today that this is truly God's heart for every one of us. Because God really sent Jesus um, to, to, to not just get us to be saved, but to transform our lives to look like Him. And so we call this whole thing that I just described right now, we call that discipleship. Now, the church have, 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 have misunderstood discipleship greatly, and they have relegated discipleship to a class. So you might have been in a church where they said, hey, come to discipleship class. Um, or you might have, um, you know, read a book on discipleship, or they might, they might have been a, um, to tell, they might have said to you, look, come to this group Bible study, what we do, because we're going to do a study on discipleship. Um, and all of those things are probably good and can be a part of discipleship. But when you relegate the concept of discipleship to just that, you miss the plot very, very big. Discipleship is the whole journey of somebody walking with somebody from not even being a Christian all the way into understanding Jesus, that, that Jesus came and died for us and to accepting that as their personal reality and conviction through then the process of learning how to apply that to their lives into the next phase of now me becoming willing to actually tell other people about that and to the point where I am actually able to tell another person, help another person to connect with God and start the journey themselves. And then this whole thing will continue and is supposed to continue till everybody is reached. That's discipleship. It starts with people that don't believe and it ends up reaching out to more people that don't believe. The whole thing is discipleship. Our whole church and everything we do is geared toward making disciples and helping people to participate in the making of disciples. And so I want you to know that there is so much that you can do now already 
towards making disciples that you don't have to feel like, oh, I can't make disciples and so I can't participate. You taking a step of growth and you taking a decision to, um, to, to respond to something that God lays on your heart to do differently from what you do before is you becoming ready in yourself to then eventually be able to help another person walk with Jesus as well in that regard. You are getting ready to make disciples. So there's this guy who, um, with a group of people, makes these um, Jesus videos. It's called Chosen, The Chosen. His name is Dallas Willard, Willard. sorry, And he says this discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. The process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I like that because I know that in my journey with Jesus, we are called to become less me and more him. I am called to die to myself, my views, my opinions, my ways, and adopt more of his opinions, his will, and his ways in my life. So in a sense, he is being formed on the inside of me. And when he becomes a reality on my inside, people start seeing him on my outside, right? And that is the heart of of this is for us to become mature as Christians and, uh, um, and take on the identity that Jesus gave us. So Jesus, when he said his final words to his disciples, and you can open up in Matthew 28 now, the, la- the 18, verse 18 and 20, Jesus is saying his final words to the people that are going to be responsible for carrying out his mission from here on end. The last word. So imagine you greeting somebody. You're moving to whatever, other side of the world, and you need to tell your kids one last thing that you want them to remember. I remember when my mom sent me off to college. She said a couple of last words to me as she was screaming through my car window for me to remember. Had a profound impact on my life. But Jesus is saying his last words, and he's trying to get his disciples to just... Guys, if you do one thing, do this thing. Matthew 18, he says, remember, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything that I have taught you. Teach them to observe everything I have taught you. So in our Western world, we have um, a different system of learning than what the Hebrew world actually follows. In the Hebrew mindset, you learn by doing, mostly. In the Greek mindset that we, our Western world kind of is based off of, is you learn information, a ton of it, and then maybe use like a fraction of it in your life. I don't know, any, any college grads here who did not necessarily end up using a whole lot of what they were studying about, right? But we kind of take that mindset and we apply it to when the Bible says we're supposed to be students of Christ, right? And we apply that mindset to thinking, okay, I'm supposed to learn about Jesus, but here's the mindset that we have. I'm going to gather all the knowledge, Until I one day feel ready to start applying my knowledge in some kind of a work situation. Right? The problem with that is is (laughs) you, you learn a whole lot of things in college. And then when you step into the job the first day, you all of a sudden still don't feel ready. No matter what that little paper on your wall tells you that you learned. And then in most cases, you have an employer that also tells you, look, that paper don't apply much. (laughs) We're going to have to almost retrain you to do what we want you to do on the job. And so that system of knowledge doesn't even work in our reality, but we kind of cling to it. And therefore, I believe, misunderstand a lot of times what the Bible means when it talks about discipleship. But there's a word in our culture that we do understand that actually is way more akin to what is being described by Jesus and the Bible when it talks about discipleship, and it's the word apprenticeship. How many of you were an apprentice in your life before? 
right? So an apprentice is somebody who studies while copying and doing and following the instruction hands-on of his mentor. Yes, he might study knowledge, but the knowledge is immediately being implemented in the actual work that they need to do to qualify for whatever they're trying to study. There's immediate application of the knowledge. The word disciple is closer related to the word apprentice than it is to our concept of the word student. That means that Jesus really expects us to actually copy, to apply, to try, to physically hands-on do the things that He did in our journey, walking with Him, learning from Him, and following Him. So how many, how many here are like, um, you describe yourself as a homebody? I'm just a home. I like being at home. Hands up. Hands up. Homebodies. Identify yourselves. Good. All right. How many of you are more like, the, oh, we're, we're out and about kind of people. We just can't, can't get enough of going out and spending time with people. How many of you are married to not you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of an issue, right? <laughs> it's like, we need to go visit. No, we do not. <laughs> that often causes a little friction, right? The thing that we need to realize is that in the church world, homebodies as well as extroverted out there people, we're all commissioned, we're all called with the same calling. Our personality does not give us an out from the call to make disciples. All your personality basically describe is probably a little bit of the way in which and the area in which you will be making disciples. But you are still called to make disciples. For those out and about kind of people that, and that was me, like I, I, I knew everybody in my college and everybody in my college knew me. But I, all my relationships were this shallow. And I had, I never committed to helping any particular person or group of people to walk with God and to observe the things that Jesus taught us to do. Just because I like being with everybody doesn't give me an out to have to stick around with a smaller group of people to help them get it, no matter how long it takes. We all have to work through our personalities and our temperaments and our tendencies to follow this command that Jesus gave us. Jesus says through this, this commission, look, I'm not pulling you out of this world. I'm sending you to it. I want you to be in it. I want you to be involved with it. The only thing I don't want you to do is be like it. <laughs> but in every other respect, we're not supposed to wish that we were gone, no longer here. We're supposed to buy the time out, being here, to accomplish the commission that he put on the church. So I want us to look at a man called Paul and Saul, sometimes at the same time. Mostly he started off being called Saul in his Jewish community. And later on, because of his work cross-culturally, he became more known by, his, um, by another name called Paul. And just to see how his journey with Jesus started. So if you want to, you can join me in your Bible in Acts 9, the book of Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read a couple of verses. The first one we'll read is kind of how how Saul met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? I hope you've met Jesus. It's awesome to meet Jesus. So Saul was actually a guy that went around persecuting the church. He was killing Christians for what they refer to as just, you know, just destroying their way of life. He was a Jew, and he was also a teacher of the law. And he was he was mandated by the Sanhedrin to go and punish Christians for preaching heresies and, according to them, heresies and doing things that they weren't supposed to do. 
So he's off to the city called Damascus on his horse, and he, on route there, uh, experiences something incredible. Verse 3 in chapter 9 says this, G, um, no, sorry, I'm in John 9. I need to be in Acts 9. I hope you all are in Acts 9, okay? So in Acts 9, verse 3, it says this, now he went on his way, and as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's interesting to me that he knew he was Lord instinctively without even, like, and at the same time asking the question, who are you? But he said, hey, who are you, Lord? Yeah. Um, Sometimes people know God is God and God is real. and they just, They're just not there to acknowledge it yet. But we'll pray that they do because um, even Saul here realized it. Um, it says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city. You will be told what to do. And um, at that moment, Saul became blind and he had to get help to go into the city. Now, it's incredible this moment that Saul has with Jesus. He acknowledges that this encounter is significant and he obeys the instruction that he got. And he goes to this place where um, he meets with somebody. But the backstory is that God then speaks to a guy that is just called a disciple. He wasn't a, uh, described as an apostle. He wasn't described as a, a pastor. He wasn't described as a, uh, an elder or anything. The Bible says just in some translations he was a follower, and in other translations he was a disciple. There was a certain disciple called Ananias. And God says to Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go to this and this address, and there's a man there. His name is Saul that I want you to go and pray for. And Ananias is like, wait, hold up. Is this Saul? Like this Saul? The guy who's been killing all of us? And God says, yes, this is the Saul. I need you to go and pray for him. Have you had a conversation before with God that you were like, logically, this doesn't make any sense. Now, if Ananias was just a student of the knowledge of the Word of God, his logic would have overtaken him. And he would have gone, uh-uh, this can't be real. This can't be right. This guy kills Christians. I can't be going to him because I want to live. But Ananias wasn't just a student. Ananias was an apprentice. And because he was an apprentice, he obeyed. He said, well, for good or for better or for worse, I'm going to obey God. He shows up at this address, and there he meets Paul, who is blind, and he starts speaking with Paul, and we pick it up in verse 17. And Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, things like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. He got up, he was baptized, and afterward, he ate and regained some food. Uh, he, he ate some food to regain his strength. Then Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. But listen to this: immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. How long is he saved? He's not even saved a day. And he starts preaching in the synagogues about Jesus. You know, what's also interesting is sometimes we don't necessarily see the progress we're making. And so, in this account, Paul does a number of things that we describe in our church as growth steps or, or next steps, things that you can do that are tangible that you know sets you up for growth. It sets you up in obedience to God's Word to start walking in that way. Paul does incredible. He, first of all, it says here that Paul is he's born again. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord. 
That's the first step that every person needs to take to start walking with God. It's realize that I'm a sinner, that I need salvation, and I can't do it for myself. I need a Savior, and Jesus is the only person who ever done save people sufficiently so that we can solve our problem of separation between us and God. Acknowledging His Lordship leads me to having a connection with Him. Uh, 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 the Bible t- tells me that I am born again when that happens. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and inside of my heart, I become alive spiritually. And now I'm a child of God. And look, if you retain your confession of faith, it doesn't matter what happens in life. You remain a child of God. But there are more things that can follow after that. Look what Paul does. Number one, he says he stays with the believers in Damascus. And later on, we see him staying for a whole long time at a specific locale with the believers in that locale. Now, in those times, there weren't 1,000 churches to choose from. It was the church. And if you got saved, whether you liked those guys or not, you were a part of that church family. We've got a little bit more, you know, choice. That's good. That's good. But at some point, you have to decide to commit somewhere. You have to decide to stay with a group of people because what comes after can only happen in relationship. You can only walk this Jesus journey so long on your own before you need other people's interaction on your life for you to continue growing. Paul stays with the church. Paul gets baptized, y'all. He publicly confesses that he has become a follower of Jesus Christ and he's no longer a Jew. Well, is Jew the belief or the culture? I don't know. He's no longer just a Jew. He's now a Jewish Christian. He publicly declares that. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's, I mean, he gets healing. He's, his eyes start seeing again, and that's not a growth step. That's just a blessing he got. But bottom line is he, he received some kind of, you know, blessing from God in, 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 his, in his obedience. And then he starts sharing the gospel. Think about that. That's like get saved, get connected, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, start sharing your faith. Five incredible growth steps. Have you gotten born again? Come on! That's your first step. You did that. You're a believer. You're a child of God. Have you maybe been baptized after you put your faith in Jesus? Come on. Y'all, let's celebrate some growth here. That's progress. We're so used to only celebrating perfection that we don't really make a big deal about it when somebody decides to get baptized. That's huge. Baptism is you saying, I'm going to follow in obedience to what the Bible says, a step to declare publicly what has happened inside of my heart privately. That's huge. That's your first testimony, by the way. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Yo, we can't live this gospel life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. It's impossible. This can't be done in human power. We need the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you tried, and maybe, maybe you, you wanted to, but you, you, you were doubting. Maybe that's where you're currently at, and you're wrestling with that thing. Good. Keep wrestling with that thing. Keep figuring it out until you fully understand and fully get it and fully start walking in it. You're growing. Well done. Maybe you've joined the church. Maybe you've not joined the church yet. Hey, it's time to get settled. Time to say, hey, I want to be, uh, be a member here or wherever that, that is that you have to be. But I want to be a member and I want to start help building. I'm going to start help building. And maybe my building is just participation. Maybe it's me just coming and saying, yes, I'm in. But you're starting somewhere. Come on, let's celebrate that. We don't celebrate you once you become a leader in this church. Well, we celebrate you from the moment you come through the doors, right? But yet still, there's more. There's other steps of growth, and we celebrate each and every one of them. Well done if you've been growing. Now, if you've gotten stagnant somewhere, maybe it's time to re-evaluate. Like maybe what what do I need to do next for, for me to continue my journey with Jesus, right? But you see Paul taking some steps. Have you started maybe sharing your faith with people at work or in your family or etc.? Come on. That's huge. 
That's not that easy. So when you, do, when you did that, you, I mean, you made dad proud. That's awesome. Keep trying to do that. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes we, we take a first step and, and, and maybe we, we don't do that well. And maybe somebody asks us a question and we didn't know the answer. And we go like, no, I better step away from that. that that's, you know what? I, you know what? It's, just not my, it's just not my personality to talk to people. You know? We're going to leave that to those people, the big mouths. You know? um, it's, like, it's just not who I am, etc. And then we start making excuses for why we shouldn't have to obey God. If you got hurt, don't make excuses. Just recover and learn and try again. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to have a fail. In this church, we fail all the time, but we fail at least forward, falling forward. We still make progress in our failing, okay? Come and learn with us. Come and do, you know, try with us. We want to fail forward. We want to try and obey as much as we can. But everybody has a place where they are at. And look, nobody's judged for where they're at. Nobody. You're celebrated for where you're at. But you're also encouraged to take a step. You're encouraged to say, this isn't all there is. Yes, I became a believer, but this isn't all there is. There is, there is a calling. There is a mission that God wants me to start being involved in. And how can I start taking a step to get connected back and to get growing again with some people who will love me, who will help me through, maybe, you know, uh, um, help me through my hurts, help me through the things that I, I'm struggling with, my, my, my doubts, my, maybe, maybe I have like things that I don't understand in the Bible and, and I need to settle those things before I can do that. Great. Come. That's why we're here. We're here to do that together. It's just cool to see that even in Paul's journey later on, you know, so now Paul starts, um, he starts, uh, 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 you know, reaching people and, and he starts building lives. And all of a sudden there's like churches that are popping up in, in, in everywhere he's going. And, um, you know, he's being real effective at reaching people that are non-Jews. And this is kind of going on without the knowledge of the church people in Jerusalem. And at some point they kind of catch wind of this, etc. And so one guy comes and says, hey, you need to come and tell us what's happening. And so Paul is, is brought back to Jerusalem and they have this whole meeting. And, you know, some would say it was a bit of a, you know, traka, but they, they, they figured it out. And uh, eventually there's peace and they, and they understood each other. And, and they recognized Paul was given a grace to reach people that are non-Jews. And, 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 and here's the great thing. is like even when you are a leader, even when you've done incredible things for the gospel, there's still something that you can be commissioned to continue your journey of growth and development. And Paul, in, 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 um, in Acts 13, um, he's with these other leaders of the, the Jerusalem church. And... Uh, um, and they say to Paul, uh, let's, they were fasting and praying about this whole thing about the, the advancement of the gospel going to other nations. Because you all know that the, the gospel was meant to cross cultural and ethnic barriers, right? You all know that the gospel was meant for pantata ethne, every nation. And in the world, in the word of God, the word nation is not political nation. It's, 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 it's actually ethnic group. Right, every single ethnic group is is, is is we're called to go to them, um, and 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 so um, uh, there is a group of people there that if you can read the um, the description of that of that of that chapter, there is a diverse group of people who are in leadership over this church, and they're all praying and they're all trying to figure out what God is saying, and then they realize they're meant to actually fully commission these two guys. And so they take Barnabas and Paul and they lay hands on them. They pray for them. And it says here, they appointed them for the special work that God had called them to do. And it was specifically in relation to bringing the gospel of Jesus to the other people than the Jews, which at that point it was described as the Gentiles. It's just every nation that wasn't Jewish, right? And that weren't necessarily following God uh, according to their uh, tradition. Um, but now God says, I want those nations. I want each and every one of them. 
Under every tribe and tongue, I want them serving me. So Paul was sent out to go and plant churches. And Paul spends the next 30 plus years of his life traveling, spreading the gospel. And you have in your hand there it's, uh, uh, letters that he wrote to all these different people. The church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Philippi, the church in, uh, 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 the church in uh, Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, the church in um, uh, uh, Colossae. The, and, then, and, then, and then he write, writes even to some of his, his sons in the Lord, whom he discipled and raised up in leadership. Timothy, he writes to them and, and, and tells them to, to take the letters that was written from one church to another church so that all of these churches can be grown. Paul was incredibly influential. But he started just telling people about Jesus. <laughs> he started by just obeying the voice of God to go and meet with the disciple and to learn from this disciple that's where it all started, just taking one step of obedience to surround himself with people of the faith that could pour into him as he started being raised up by God to go do all these amazing things. Today we're going to talk about just the journey of our church and how we've come to our, our own, our belief, maturity, our own next step, the next step for our church you see, because when, when Esther and I took this church, um, it was started by um, Zach McCann. That's Pastor Bubba McCann's son. And um, after about five years, uh, Zach felt a call to go into the, minist into the marketplace world. And um, the church kind of like struggled to figure out who was going to lead it. We were, we were trying to get people to come and lead it. At the time, Esther and I were serving in the Jennings campus. And... Uh, almost, almost a year passed since when, when Zach felt that he needed to resign and we came and we took the church. The church was not in a great shape when we got it. A lot of people had jumped ship. A lot of people had felt like, you know, we're not certain about whether we're going to, you know, stay involved in this transition. Um, and really, we, we got about 70 people. The church was about the same size as we are now when, uh, when, when, when Zach resigned. And, uh, and uh, when we arrived back and kind of like, you know, after COVID and everything had hit, the, another kind of like thing that hit the church. After all that consolidated, we had about 70 people in this, in this church. Um, and so we had to stop a lot of things to recalibrate. We, we, had to, we had to scale back to a level of maturity where our church was at and take on only the things that we could manage at that level of maturity. So we scaled back on every event, every uh, outside program. Uh, we, scaled, we, we, we stopped international missions. We stopped our local outreaches. We, um, we basically stopped doing any event that wasn't absolutely critical. We scaled back to one service on a Sunday. And Esther and I took about 20 people that were like a, like a core leadership group within the 70 and we spent the next two years just discipling those people. Yes, we had services on a Sunday, but in the week we poured our every capacity we had into making sure that spiritual foundations were laid in those people's lives. We were hoping that through the journey, those people will eventually catch the heart of discipleship and become the people that will now start reaching the rest of our community with us and help build and rebuild this church with us. And you know what I told them? I said to them, guys, you know what? I know we're kind of like hoping things would go back to where it was. And I know that there's a lot of like, you know, things that are exciting about being a bigger church. But here's what. I don't need us to grow fast. I really need us to just grow at the rate of our discipleship. I need us to grow at the level of our ability to help people grow spiritually. Because the church is not called, y'all, to just make converts. We're called to make disciples. We're called to make apprentices that are able to do eventually what their mentor, what their master is doing. And so I said to them, if we, if we can grow 
this group to be able to walk with more people and this group will help those people to grow. And, and we can repeat that. The church growth will take care of itself. We don't have to worry about church growth. We can just worry about making disciples. And if I care enough for you to commit to you that I will meet with you weekly and you and I will walk through the foundational principles of Scripture and set up a lifestyle that is going to, uh, a lifestyle of habits that's going to make you and help you grow spiritually, that's all I need to do right now. And if, if we can all grow a culture where everybody is walking with somebody, this church is going to burst out of its seams before we can even, before we even look back. And so we started that journey. And as things started progressing, we started people taking ownership of this call to make disciples. And, 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 and everybody was just taking steps. Some people in that group weren't there yet. And they, they realized steps that they needed to take to grow in the confidence and the competence to be able to also make disciples. And then they would say, okay, good. I don't feel like I can do that yet, but I'm going to take this step. I'm going to start serving in this capacity. This is me getting ready to eventually be able to walk a journey of spiritual growth with another person. And that's where many of us start with just walking with one individual that you can say, hey, why don't you and I just start together on this journey? And we go through the steps slowly but surely. Because this isn't a race, y'all. It's a life. It's us doing life together. It's me working with you through the things that you're struggling with. At the same time, we're centering around Jesus. We're not letting those things become the main topic of conversation. Every single time we meet, we let the Word of God be the main topic of conversation. And the application of how I need to switch and, and align my life to His Word. And many times, half the things that we're dealing with get sorted out in the process of us just aligning our lives with the Word of Jesus. Christ. We started doing that, and all of a sudden, we started seeing capacity grow. Our church become more able. Uh, people were, 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 were coming and reconnecting back, and people finding like, hey, I can, I can grow spiritually here. I can serve God through this place. Why did that start happen? Because they had a great preacher? No, guys, I ain't that great a preacher. But what I do know to do well is to help people grow spiritually. That is the core of it all. If your life with Jesus gets going and you start getting sold out in your heart to Him and His purposes, I can preach a bad sermon here on a Sunday and it won't bother you that much because you're not here to get entertained. You're here to get discipled. You're here to get activated and empowered to make disciples with us. You all know that I don't ever hold back in, in, in sermon and all that. We try to do the best we are known and grown to do but I don't depend on this for our church to be successful. I depend on us, every single person here, understanding that you have been called just as much as we have to live this kingdom lifestyle. And so today, we're going to, I'm going to show you a couple of things that we're doing that we're at the end of our service going to be um, uh, doing a, a call for participation to. And the first thing is that, you know, locally we do incredible outreaches. The first one is, is that we have a monthly partnership with a church in Crowley that serves the community with food. And we don't do a whole lot of praying and a whole lot of preaching there, but what we're doing is we're serving people at their point of need. And we're helping as much as we can right now. Our capacity, we can't run those programs yet, but we can partner with people that are. And so we're going to serve and we're going to help our community in that way. So I want to ask you to participate in that. Starting to be compassionate and, and learning how to see needs and try to fulfill it. It's, it's Jesus often, when he was tired, when he was like, he just tried to get away from it all found himself running into another group of people that needed ministry. And the Bible says he was stirred with compassion. He wanted to help. And so he ministered to them as well. Stirring, let compassion stir our hearts is a good thing. Second thing we're doing locally, and remember, 
I just spoke about us all making disciples, right? This is running off of the foundation of understanding that I am called to reach out, whether the church puts on a thing or not. This is my nine to five. This is my normal. My normal is not that I am getting out of my program to go and do something for Jesus. No, 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 no. I am rewiring how I do my day to day. I'm rewiring how I'm doing my every day so that it serves the kingdom of God as well as obviously, you know, earning me a wage. It's not me trying to add something that has to end so I can go back to my normal. No, it's me allowing Jesus to transform my normal so that it serves his purposes. This is the foundational idea of our church and, um, and, and reaching people, building lives, how we, how we propose it be a culture within all of us. But on top of that, we have come to a place as a family where we started adding some steps of growth. We started putting on some programs again. And one of them is that we started a campus ministry. A ministry that reaches out to students in a phase. Students come out of high school and they step into a phase of life where they're free to do whatever they want to do. And no longer have the supervision of mom and dad directly over them to guide or to prevent or to discipline them if they're not doing what is right. And in that moment, it is critical that somebody goes and shows them how to commit that season of their lives to the gospel, to the kingdom of God, and not waste it on worldly pursuits. And this is kind of like a new thing because, you know, one, we've never had a university close to us. And and, and so we've not really um, ever had to deal with students just in general. But also, number two, we've we've never tried to really uh, start an outreach that is particularly towards people that are close. Like that that, that runs as as a formal program. But that is what our campus ministry is. Every week we get the opportunity uh, during school term to reach out to between 100 and 150 students. And let me tell you, they came to a university that is a Christian university, guaranteed not all of them are Christians. So many of them have never for their own desire and pleasure, their own decision, not pleasure, decision, uh, committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, listen, by the grace of God this year and uh, previous year, we've now, we've now been able to confirm like almost 20 students that have said yes to walking with Jesus and, 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 and committing their lives to Him. Three of them got baptized the other day. And it's a, look, it's the grace of God, but somebody needs to be a carrier of that grace. And we feel God called us to reach Students, And so now there's students that have been influenced by our ministry here from LSUE, from Lafayette, from even from Baton Rouge. Students have come and for season attended what we've done and their lives have been impacted by our outreach to that generation. And why am I sharing that? I'm sharing that because we're hoping to be able to grow a campus ministry that will help these students to see the vision that if we can change our campuses, we can change the world. If we can change students to to get on fire with Jesus right here when they come to study in Crowley, they can go out throughout the United States and bring change wherever they are from and wherever they go. One of the students came here, studied. She came from El Salvador, and her life got like just so encouraged. She was already a Christian, but like settled and really, really uh, blessed and, and, and really commissioned her to go out and make a difference. And she went home for a season, led her youth group back home, was an integral part of her church family before she came back to study now again in a different state. Now she's over there living her faith out there. And I mean, gosh, the opportunities to reach the world from just reaching students on our doorstep is just incredibly immense. And what we want to do is we want to bring a group of these students to go to a place, a conference where they can see this vision. They can see what it looks like when a ton of students go on fire and get on fire for Jesus. And there's a group that run local church campus ministries similar to what we're trying to build here. And um, 
and they have a conference in Orlando uh, in the beginning of next year. We want to bring a group of students to just go and see what it looks like when students changes a place. When students band together with a faith to change the world and start giving, and so giving their lives to that ideal. And so we're going to need a couple of thousand dollars to be able to bring these students to that. So, so that um, nobody does not go because of finances. I don't know, but when I was a student, I was like dirt poor. I couldn't afford nothing. And I was just always so thankful if people were able to help me gain access to opportunities. And we're hoping to give some of our students access to this opportunity to go. And so we've started growing and our campus have gotten ready. And guys, it's time now that we go beyond our own borders. Our church have always had international missions. Our church has always been passionate about taking the gospel outside of our country. And next year, we're relaunching our international missions by going on not one, not two, not three, but four (laughs) international missions that people can participate in. So I'm going to put these up on the board real quick. There you go. Puerto Rico, Guatemala, South Africa, Rio de Janeiro, and Brazil. Puerto Rico is going to be like real evangelistic, knocking on doors, inviting people into conversations with Jesus, seeing if we can help bless the local church that they started there as a partnership with them. Second one, Guatemala is going to be a kids outreach. You're going to work with kids, kids programs. If you like kids, that's the one that you'd want to go to. It's also in partnership with Compassion International, which is a group that funds the education of of, of young people to be set up with better opportunities in life. Then there's going to go on South Africa. I'm not going to go on that one, even though I'm from there. But this one is going to be community development and um, helping our church there with some of their projects that they're busy with and even potentially spending time with some students. I'm not sure if there will be many there because it's kind of in their vacation time, but there will be some local students at least. And then the other one, Brazil, is going to be an inner city in Rio, um, reaching out on the streets to people that might be homeless, might be just orphaned, etc. And we're going to bring Jesus' hope there. All of these things in partnership with local organizations who will continue the work that we help them start. Our heart is to go and give them a boost and build some momentum with them. So if one of these trips starts standing out to you and you would like to go with us, you're saying that, man, I'm willing to trust God for the finances. I'm willing to trust God to be able to learn how to make disciples here so that I can go and make disciples there. If you're willing to be, willing to be trained and step into that, then, then these are opportunities for you. If you're already kind of like in children's ministry and you want to go help with the children there, then the Guatemala one will definitely be a good one for you to join. The South Africa one is wide open, but I believe the Puerto Rico and the Rio ones are slightly more, um, you need to be able to at least, you know, evangelize people, share the gospel with people, help lead people to the Lord uh, if you want to go on those trips. But these trips are available to us to step into our church's next growth step as a community, as a group together. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I think you can imagine why, right? (laughs) That's why I'm here, by the way. All right. Four indicators I want to leave with you to show that we are called to go that you are called to go in your personal capacity in your world, but that we as a church are always called to go. The first one is that Jesus commissioned the church to go into all the world and make disciples. This is an optional, y'all. This is an inevitable end to all of our journey. Jesus called us all to go make disciples. Um. And here's something that has come up now more recently, you know, just objections to Christian mission trips to other cultures. Like, who are you to go to a different culture and tell them, you know, that they're not following the right God, etc.? Well, we're nobody, but the one who has all the authority has commissioned us to go. In Matthew 28, it says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go to all the nations and make disciples. We're not going in our own authority. We're not going as people of the West, people that have a Western culture. We're going as commissioned sent ones by Jesus Christ, who oh, to whom all nations belong, who desires for all nations to be saved, who died on the cross and blood was spilled for every single nation in the name of that person whom all authority was given to, we go 
to bring his word. We go to bring his truth of how they can step into connection with God. And part of it is understanding that we're not going to bring our culture to people. You don't have to go to a different culture and tell them that you have to wear the same clothes I wear for you to be holy. No, we work with people's culture and identify that which is morally objectionable according to the one who makes the standards, the one who carries all the authority, the one who's holy, as we spoke about last week. He's the one who can make the standards because he is morally pure, right? We go with we go and work with whatever, preserve whatever is good about a culture, but we bring the truth first and foremost just of what Jesus did for them and how he reached out to them, how he died for them and want them to be in relationship with him. And then secondly, after we've reached them with the gospel and they've gotten saved, we start introducing them to God's standards of holiness. And we walk a journey with them. We disciple them slowly but surely into understanding that God is not against their culture. He's against their sin. And help them to walk a journey of just repenting of whatever is sinful. But keep celebrating that which is beautiful. Because every culture is equal. Every culture is valid. Every culture is dynamic. But every culture is sinful. Every culture has things that needs to be preserved. And every culture has things that needs to be repented of. Ours too. And we go under that authority because we were commissioned by the highest authority. The second indicator that we are saying is that the lost is dying. Y'all, there are, almost five, there are more than 5 billion people on this planet that do not know the gospel. Let that sink in. Christianity is the biggest religion in the world, but it has not reached the whole world. There are more who have not been reached yet than there are who have been reached. And so it is, it is absolutely necessary that we go. That we go just be beyond just our own neighborhood to the nations. The second thing, the third thing is that God's spirit is moving. And, and, and in Acts 1 verse 8, we know why. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our Jerusalem is Crowley. Our Judea is Acadia. Our Samaria is Louisiana. And the ends of the world goes beyond the United States. God has called us to go beyond just where we are. And the Spirit of God, y'all, we cannot do this without the Spirit of God. I don't care... Who says what? But if you're trying to achieve these ideals without the Spirit of God, you're going to run out of steam somewhere. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to live the ideals of the Christian mission. I think sometimes people don't, know the, don't, don't, don't see the need for the Spirit of God because they have, no, uh, uh, um, they have no understanding of the mission of God. But if they would reconnect with the mission of God, all of a sudden, quickly, they would realize, dang, we need some power. We need some empowerment here. And that will reconnect them to what God wants them, wants for them. And the third one is, the fourth one, sorry, is the lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. Y'all, Jesus died for each one of these nations. And if it's only for to let the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering, we are still called to go. He, he deserves our going because he suffered for each and every one of those people. I guess we're left with Isaiah 6 then. When God says, whom shall I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? Isaiah's answer was, here I am, send me. And I pray that that will be your and my answer too. That you will say, Lord, I will go. Where would you like me to go in my neighborhood? But where would you like me to go? Or how would you like me to participate in going to the nations? Our church have really committed ourselves to being a part of a, a movement that, that goes beyond into the nations to share the gospel and to help the body of Christ and partner with the body of Christ to take Jesus' word to the nations. Heavenly Father, thank you for incredible opportunity today to consider just where we're at in our journey with you. 
where we're at in our spiritual growth and ask you to guide us in what you would like us to do. Like you said to Saul to go to Ananias and, and learn from him what he needs to do. God, I pray that every person here might walk out with a sense of direction as to what they can do to grow in their walk with you next. God, I pray that if they're struggling to find that, that they might take the bold step to make contact and just go with a conversation, have a conversation with one of our life group leaders or one of our staff members, God, or, or even us, God. We, we thank you that you have put in this family such a heart for people that no one here is uh, unable to connect with somebody. And I pray, God, that that would open up the door for them to growing with you, to just taking this exciting journey of development with you. And Father, I pray for everybody here who felt called to contribute towards the mission, the relaunching the missions and the projects that we're needing to accomplish our vision with, that you will bless them, Lord, and that you will help them to fulfill that desire that they have in their hearts to give. God, we thank you that our giving is never under obligation or guilt, but it's always out of love and excitement for what you're doing. And Father, if, if we can all live from that place of excitement and joy, then we will be blessed. It'll be such an honor and an exciting thing for us to be involved in. And I pray, God, that that will be the atmosphere of our church at all times, Lord. God, thank you that you lead us out of this building <laughs> toward our mission field, God, where you want us to have an impact on the people around us and love on the people around us so that they might see our testimony lived out as we've decided to follow you. And may they also would like to follow you through our relationship with them. I pray that might be what our church is known for, God, as we are known for our care and our love and our compassion for people. God, we bless you, we honor you, and uh, we thank you for being with us today. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen and amen.